guys are having so much fun. That's awesome. Welcome, everybody. I'm Pastor Bruce. Good to see you here this morning. And uh, hasn't the weather changed? Uh, the Martins are of the opinion it's all for the better because I turned my sprinkler system off and everything's cleaned up. My eyes aren't bugging me with all the grit in the air. So praise the Lord. So much to be grateful for, but especially for our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. We're here for the Lord and to be blessed and to be encouraged and to enjoy each other's company and in the presence of the Holy Spirit and the truth of his word. It is a real treasure that we get to come into the house of the Lord today and worship together. And I know as others come in, just feel free to welcome them and make sure they feel right at home. And we'll have uh, quite a few announcements coming up after we've sung some praises to the Lord this morning because uh, this is the kind of season where it gets really busy here at the church with lots of activities starting and lots of events taking place through the end of the year. So we'll highlight just some of those. I really encourage you to check our website to firstpressoc.org. I try and keep the news and updates current so that you can see everything in a glance. And the list is like this long now, so uh, through the end of the year. So be sure to check that, and we'll hear more about that later. So let's begin with the most important thing we can do to start worship, and that's pray. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, God, it is such a joy to be here to worship you this morning. Thank you so very much for your love for us today and for all days that lie behind us and the days that lie ahead. Thank you for your plans for us. Thank you, God, that you've given us the blessings we have in Jesus, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of all of our sins, all of them. And by your grace, Lord, we are saved by faith, not by works. And so, God, we come as your humble people today filled with gratitude. And, Lord God, if there are those that are searching for that place, that right spot with you, I pray that today they will find that blessing and that all of us would grow closer to you as we worship your great name. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Let's all stand.
stumble and fall, Lord, you are our sure strength and our sure hope. And Father, we just thank you that your word over and over tells us how much you love us. And Lord, you loved us enough to send us your son, the only perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, he's coming back, and we are looking forward to that. And Lord, we believe this because of what we've experienced and what we've seen in history, Lord. Your promises are real and true. And we love you for it. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Future face that's mine. 
thank you, Father, so much for being our champion, for loving us so much that you gave us your only son, your only begotten son. Lord, that means a hierarchical place equal with you, Lord, the son, God the son. And Lord, we're here to give you thanks, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for all that you've done in our salvation, all that you have did in the past, all you're doing right now, guiding and inspiring and encouraging and molding us and shaping us and leading us. And Lord, we walk in grace. We walk in that love of Jesus Christ that fills our hearts. And may we walk in step with the Holy Spirit, knowing that you don't lead us into the dark, but God, you are nothing but light, truth. There is no sin, no darkness, no evil in you. And so, Lord, we thank you that when we follow you, we follow you with faith and trust. Your loving kindness, Lord God, inspires and guides and protects us. You provide for every need. And God, thank you for the community, too, that you create. Brothers and sisters, one family worldwide. And thank you that we have a testimony to share to the world. Why it is that we have the hope that we have. Why it is that we have peace in our hearts with you. And it's all because of Jesus. All the good news of Jesus Christ. Died on the cross, buried, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, coming back someday. Lord, it's all your work for us. Now, Lord God, help us to live into that with the help of your spirit and the truth of your word to give you glory and praise and honor always. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The kids are free to head down the hallway for Sunday school. And as they're coming down to the Sunday school wing, and if you're a guest this morning, feel free to go with them. That's great. A couple of quick announcements. Uh, there are several, in fact. Um, Jim Dale's memorial service is this coming Saturday at 2 p.m. Also, there's a harvest party planning meeting in the fireside room. And uh, there's a puzzle exchange next Sunday after church. I'm going to put them out on the table. I got three bags worth of puzzles already on my desk in my office on my table there. We'll put them all out, and if you've got a desire to put a puzzle together, you feel free to do that, and um, we'll have a lot of fun. I like to do puzzles sometimes, too, especially when family's around. It gives you something to do um, instead of look at each other or watch TV. So uh, grab a puzzle, and, and I know that I'm kind of attached to some of my favorites, but honestly, if I've only put it together once and I don't intend to put it together twice, eh, maybe it's time to move it around a little bit. So think about that. Also, Jean Marie's baby shower is October the 8th after church. Don't, don't forget that. Yeah, New also, member class. Real, real quick on that one. Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> is Jean Marie here today? She's not. Uh, her baby is due, but they are going to have a surprise as to if it's going to be a boy or a girl. So... Um, I do have a registry available. We, our, all church email hasn't been working. So if you want to know kind of what she needs, um, just let me know and I will send you the link to her registry. Great. There's a new members class October the 14th uh, on a Saturday from 9 to 12 in my office. So if you're curious about the church, you don't have to join. Um, and you could even be a member and come and for refreshing. But it's all good to talk and visit and share together. And so that's coming up October the 14th. Uh, the nominating committee is meeting October the 8th for orientation in my office at 9.30 before worship. I'll, I'll have all of you contacted. If you're sitting here this morning going, is that me? Uh, I will let you know. 
Also, Elder Deacon Lunch is after worship in the fireside room, so just a little reminder. And Women's Bible Study on Tuesday nights is beginning again this Tuesday night at 6.15 in the fireside room with Tammy Ticano. If you have any questions or needs, talk to Tammy or contact the office. Uh, the study is on Christian community, and it's based on a book. Uh, the cost of the book is $12, but don't let that stop you. There's free copies as well, so, and we can supplement as needed. We just want the women to go that want to be there. So I think that's all the announcements. Just a reminder on our church's website, news and updates, uh, you'll see everything that's happening through December, including the table carol dinner and everything else. It's a long list, so you want to consult that and get that on your calendars. That would be great. Are there any other general announcements that need to be made? Okay, just remember the Harvest Party planning meeting coming up this next Sunday, and then the, the Harvest Party itself will be the 28th of October. For those of you here this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to the Book of Romans. We've got just about three sermons left in chapter 11, and then we'll finally get to chapter 12, Therefore... Wow, I counted all the sermons I've done so far, 30. Um, 30 to get up to this point, or about 30. And you just can't go any faster. Romans is just loaded, and really there's no rush, is there? We, every, every time we open the Word, long or short, it is just God's Word for us, and the Spirit moves and teaches us and inspires us. And I am, I've been personally really grateful for the the opportunity I've had to really dig in to Romans and share with you. So I feel blessed, and I trust that you have been blessed as well. So today, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to your word with every expectation that we individually and corporately as a church will see our place in the work that you're doing around the world. We will see your grace and mercy we will see your love, your faithfulness, your promises to us, and the covenant that we have in, with you in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are the faithful one. You are the one whose promises are always yes, and you fulfill all of them. And so, God, we come and we ask now that your Holy Spirit bring your word to life in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord, Romans 11, 1 through 10. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom, you, whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? how he appeared to God against Israel. Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I've reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it's no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What Israel sought so earnestly it did not obtain, but the elect did? 
The others were hardened, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, and ears so that they could not hear, to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. Strange words. Where is he going? This is part of a a series where chapters 9 through 11 are talking about God's plans for the people of Israel. And again, there are three ways to talk about Israel. There's that singular person, Jacob, who God named Israel. Then there's the nation-state of Israel, and that's just the nation itself. And then there are the people of Israel, whether they live in the nation-state or are citizens of that state or not doesn't matter. They're the people of Israel, God's chosen people, clear going back to uh, Abraham, clear through Moses and all of that. And it's located in the law of God that God gave Moses in Exodus 19 to 24. So we've looked at all these pieces. Now at this point, there's been some concerns about the unity of the church in Rome. The church is made up of two general ethnic groups. One are the people of Israel, the Jewish community who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then there are those who aren't, and they are also believers in Jesus, but they outnumber the Jewish Christian community. And the thought going through the Gentile Christian's head was, something's wrong with you people of Israel. It looks to us like God has said, you're passe, you're old news, you're not important anymore, the the momentum has shifted now to we Gentiles. And there's a bit of an arrogant pride, and Paul really deals with that in next Sunday's message. So that underlies what's happening here is this curiosity about, well, what is God doing at the moment with Israel, the people of Israel? Now, I want to stop for a second and say this. When we come to a passage that's so pointedly about the people of Israel, It can put a church to sleep because it's like this is a message for those guys over there, but here we are, so what? What we have to realize is he's speaking to everybody, first of all, in the church, including ourselves, and the principles of how God's promises carry themselves through and how there is a remnant of believers amongst a wider group that might identify as Jewish or Christian, there are those who truly believe. And that all comes through this, and we'll see that play out as we go through the message. So this is a message that meant a great deal to me, and I pray that it'll mean just as much to you. So let's break it down. Let's look what behind it. Um, today I did a little research. Today, uh, if you were to look at historians' writings, I wanted to know, first of all, how many Jewish people existed when Paul wrote this book? And the estimates are around four and a half million. That's a large population, but not as large as the entire world's population, right? A minority, but still substantial. Today, there are 15 million Jewish people who identify as Jewish in the world today. That's less than 1% of the world's population. In fact, the number would be 0.65%, 0.65%, a really tiny amount. And isn't it remarkable that we hear so much about Israel and Judaism 
and all of that in our news. Isn't that remarkable? But partly it's because there are seven million in Israel and there are six million in our country. And I think part of that has to do with Hitler and, and all the things that went on there and our country became a refuge. And so we've got a very substantial population, but again, worldwide, it's a very tiny minority of the whole, but still has a tremendous impact on the world around us. Today, evangelical Christians, now what does that mean? Because we have it on our sign out there. Evangelical simply means those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross, was buried, rose from the grave, and ascended into heaven's coming back someday. Just a real biblical, rooted faith, right? That we call ourselves evangelical. It's not a political movement. It's a faith statement, a belief. That's what it means. And there are four times as many of the evangelical identified believers in the world than there are Jewish people today. So again, there's quite a substantial shift. So has God then taken away his interest in the people of Israel and replaced them with the Gentile community, the non-Jewish worldwide community of various ethnicities? That's the question that Paul is wrestling with and the early church was struggling with. And it raised a real red flag in the Jewish Christian community because if that was true, then God is faithless. This really isn't about Israel. This is really about God's faithfulness or not. Is God true to his word or not? And Paul defends the nature of God and God's promises, and he's right to do that. But can you imagine the thought that went around that circle that God had somehow slipped up or changed his mind and his promises no longer held true? What kind of God would we have? It'd be a slippery slope. So Paul deals with that very strongly. So he asks in verse 1, Did God reject his people? Well, great Scott, no. That's exactly what he says. We were just talking about that in my office prior to worship. This is one of those profoundly powerful, strong, emotional, Paul can't use a Greek expression with more punch than this without crossing the line into sin. In other words, the only alternative would be to start cursing and swearing. He's just right up to the edge of propriety. He can't speak more loudly, with more passion than what he's done here. And this is the ninth time in the book of Romans that he's done this. And there's one more to come. I didn't know this, but there are ten of them before we get to chapter 12. Who knew? God. It's a fascinating book all the way around. I don't think that Paul counted them, but ten is one of those fulfilled, complete numbers in the scriptures that says this is God's full intent. And so I just thought I'd highlight a few of them for you. I've got them listed here. Will Israel's lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Great Scott, no. Now we'll keep it short. We'll just say no. Is, is, is God unjust in bringing wrath upon the world? No. Do we nullify the law by this faith? No. Should we keep sinning so grace may increase? That's my personal favorite one. No, great Scott, that's when I really punch it. Great Scott, no, right? That's no way, no how. Should we sin because we're not under law but under grace? No. Is the law sin? No. 
Did the law bring death to me? No, my sins do, right? Is there injustice on God's part? No. Here, did God reject his people? That's the question today. No, and next Sunday is this. Has Israel's stumble meant that they've forever downfallen? They're forever lost? The answer again, one more time, will be, Great Scott, no! All of these questions are bubbling up in the church, and it all, we can get lost in human self-centeredness to think it's really about us. It's not. It's not really about the Gentiles. It's not really about the Jews. It's about God. And is God faithful? Is God a God of grace? Is God just? Is God fair? You know, all these questions about God are actually the real issue. And our relationship with God is how it plays out. How does God's faithfulness and promises play out with Israel today? If we just looked at the statistics, it looks like the Jewish community has been eclipsed. They're old news. There's yesterday's news. They are in the dustbin of history. They're done. God has turned his back on them, and now we are blessed and enriched and encouraged as non-Jewish people, most of us, by the grace of God to have faith in Jesus. The church, some think, has eclipsed Israel. We're the replacement, and that is wrong. The, the nation-state of Israel is God's long-range plan that's promised clear back to Abraham in the Old Testament. That is an ongoing promise, and it hasn't been fully fulfilled yet. There is a state, but it doesn't have the boundaries that God established. So we'll see how that plays out. Only God knows the future. We also know that there is a people within that state that are a believing remnant of believers who truly love the Lord and are saved by grace through faith in the Messiah, our Savior Jesus Christ. We know that. Clear back to Genesis chapter 3, saved by faith throughout the entire Old Testament by the grace of God, the entire Old Testament. It wasn't plan A and plan B. It was all rooted in what God was doing. So God, in the message of the Word, is a storyteller. And it's about God. And it's about how we connect with God. And he writes his story on us in history. And we can see that playing out. We're like the pages of God's grace for the world to see. And that's both for Jews and Gentiles alike, for all of us. And while the people of Israel are the primary focus, God's election and grace, don't, doesn't that apply to us? It does. So we'll find that there's very applicable. And first of all, he's going to give us two logical reasons why God has not rejected Israel. The first of one is this. God has not rejected Israel, and the example is Paul's ethnicity. Paul is Jewish. He's of the tribe of Benjamin, right? He says in verse 1, I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. What he's conveying is he's a believer in Jesus Christ. If God had turned his back on the people of Israel, he wouldn't be a Christian. And he's saying, I'm example one. Look at me. And isn't it an ironic twist in God's way of working in his way in the world, that he would take a Jewish Christian, a Messianic Jew, and he would bring Paul into a non-Jewish setting to be a witness to the wider world. And people responded. 
He first went to the synagogues and spoke to the Jews who should have recognized it, the message of the Jesus that we know and love. They should have recognized it because they had the Old Testament already. It was all there. So Paul went to the low-hanging fruit. As God said, go to them first. They would be salt and light. They would naturally take off and share that good news with the world. But they rejected the message for the most part. And so Paul turned to the Gentiles, and the gospel exploded. And here we are today. That's how God works. So Paul says, I'm an example, he says, of a Jew among the believing people of Israel. Then second of all, God has not rejected Israel. There is a believing remnant. Remnant is a major theme throughout the Old Testament. If you go to seminary or have some special classes, you'll see that word remnant often referred to. And it means that there's amongst a larger population, like let's say the nation state of Israel, the people of Israel, there is a subset of those who truly believe that they are saved by God's grace through faith in the Messiah. Those are what the Old Testament describes as a remnant among Israel, an Israel within Israel. And that's a significant uh, witness and testimony that God has not finished with his chosen people. Verses 2 through 5. God did not reject his people, whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the Scripture says? And that's always a little bit of a painful piece, isn't it? It's almost like saying, haven't you read your Bible? Don't you know what it says? Come on, you know, these are Jewish people he's now getting after. And they've had, you, you've got to remember this, for us, what kind of education does our society give us? Up through 12th grade, we get all kinds of subjects, but we don't have 12 grades worth of Bible study in the public school system, and sometimes in the private school systems we do, but sometimes not. In the Jewish school system, truth was not anchored in whether you could win a debate, which is what the Greeks relied on. The truth was reliant on Scripture, and they got Bible study every year, all those growing up years. And the girls and the guys got a basic biblical education in the Old Testament right on up, and the guys could go a little bit further, but the women got a very good grounding up through like high school, you could say. Everybody that he's talking to right now knows what the Bible says. They haven't been just to Sabbath school. They've been daily in the Word. And so he says, haven't you read? Well, yes, they have. Okay then, folks, you've read it. You know it. I know you know it. Let's, let's review. He's calling to mind what they know so well. So what he's talking about here is the passage about the prophet Elijah. And he says how he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left. I am the only one left. You can, he, this is supposed to be spoken with a depth of despair. He's really depressed. And they're trying to kill me. What happens when I'm dead, he's thinking. There'll be nobody left. And what was God's answer to him? I've reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 
Now, Baal or Baal was a Canaanite generalized word for their local god or deity. And it was a fertility god and a weather god. You see pictures of Baal with like a lightning strike in his hand, you know, that little jagged line. Um, he was a fertility god. You would have temple prostitutes in, this, in the shrines and things. And if you had temple prostitution going on, it got the gods all excited. And then your crops would come up out of the ground as like children. A weird. But that's what was going on. And so Paul says, look, Israel is in a bad shape. Israel's going to the, the shrine prostitutes. Israel won't have anything to do with the truth. Israel's murdering the prophets. There aren't that many true believers, but I'm telling you, Elijah, you're not the only one, and I have kept for myself 7,000. And that's probably just saying, I've got all the people I intend to have right now. That's what that seven usually means, the fullness of God's purpose. There are at least 7,000 who believe in the Lord and have faith. And Elijah didn't know them, had no contact with them as far as he was thinking. He was the last faithful person left. And at the moment, he's feeling rather faithless, and frankly, he just wants to die. I'll go over what, what happened to him just briefly here in a minute. Earlier, when Paul wrote in chapter 9, he told us what God's promise to Israel did not include. You know, we, we see that word chosen people, and somehow it can be misconstrued to convey to us that God has saved them as a whole. And that's not the case. Here's what he says it did not include. It is not as those God's word had failed, that the people had rejected Jesus on a large scale. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. In other words, he's talking about a remnant of believers exist among the Israeli people who know and love Jesus. God is not done. So he didn't promise to save them all carte blanche. They hadn't been granted immunity from sin. They've been given the law. They've been privileged in many ways. They were told what God's ethics were very clearly on Mount Sinai. They had all that privileged information, and it was supposed to be shared with the world around them. There to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That's what God said in Exodus. And what do priests do? If they're all priests, who are they being priests for? The non-Jewish population that weren't part of the people of Israel. They were supposed to bring the world closer to God. Praying and witnessing and leading in worship, that was to be their role in the world. And they failed at that to a large extent. And we could fall into the same trap if we're not careful. We have a witness and a testimony. That's why we're here. Now, Paul wrote then here what God's promises to Israel does mean. And all of that together. The people of Israel still are God's chosen people. Okay, the Old Testament hasn't stopped. Did God reject his people? No. Whom he foreknew. He foreknew them. In other words, he chose, he called, he elected them. God's on top of this. God knows where we're at at the moment we're at. And so he knows, too, that within that group of chosen people, not everybody was going to believe in Jesus. Maybe even a tiny minority were going to believe in Jesus, but they are. God is at work. 
And he illustrated that with Elijah. I really like the story of Elijah very much. Um, some of you know that I took all of my electives in seminary in the Old Testament. I'm so glad I did. I, I just love part one of the Bible. I hesitate to call it Old Testament because old sounds like it needs to be put away. Maybe it's kind of half dead already. You know what I mean? It, it just means first. It's the first part of the whole. And once we get that into our thinking, it becomes alive. And it's written in a very different way. It's written in narrative. You've got to read it in bigger swaths, bigger stories. You've got to see the bigger picture from a higher elevation instead of word for word and line by line. This is just how you go at the Old Testament. And one of the stories is about Elijah, and I really like this guy. First of all, he's a tough cookie sometimes. Um, he's, he's got all these prophets of Baal. All these prophets are being murdered. God's, God's messengers are being killed off. Elijah then meets on a great sort of contest on Mount Carmel near the Mediterranean Sea up on this ridge. And on this ridge, there was a contest. They put this, this altar up, and the prophets, or the priests of Baal, rather, were to call down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And if you're familiar with the story, that's great. I'm glad you are. If you're not, then this will help. And then he's kind of teasing them, like, well, maybe your God's taking a nap, you know. Maybe you could beat yourselves with chains a little harder and shout a little louder, you know. Maybe I've got to wake up Baal. Apparently he's sleeping. Nothing's happening. Then he pours water on it when it's his turn, prays, and immediately fire comes down from heaven and consumes everything, including the, the priests, the, the Baal worshipers. They're wiped out. Now, Ahab was the king at the time. And not, don't think Moby Dick. This is a different one. Ahab. And his wife's name was Jezebel. And Jezebel was not of a Jewish lineage. She was really something else. She had all these pagan notions, and she was promoting them. And when she found out that Elijah had come out on top and had won that contest, God had won that contest, she wanted to kill Elijah. Now, here's a man that was like, I'm the Lord's messenger. I'm the prophet. Here we go. We're going to call down fire from heaven. And he's teasing him. And then she says, you really ticked me off. I'm going to kill you. And what does he do? Ah! And runs south. He flees to the south. He leaves his only servant behind in Beersheba, I think it was. And then he flees south into the desert. He climbs under what they call a broom tree. It's a little bush it's for some shade maybe. He has no food, no water, and he basically tells God, I just want to die. I guess I'm the only one left. He's morose. He's down. He'd gone from such a high point where, wow, look what happened. And now he's thinking, doom. There's no hope. Everything's lost. I give up. I quit. And then God through the grace of God, through the mercy of God, the providence of God, he fed and watered him and brought him to a place or a cave. And that's where God spoke to him. And that's where he realized what God sees that he cannot see. And that's how many people are actual believers in the Messiah. And he tells them, 7,000. How many Christians are around the world today? Lots of people try and count them. I suspect that there's a Christianity and then there's a remnant within it. God knows, though, and only God would know. But can we trust him? I 
I think we can. I know we can. Is God true to his word? Absolutely. Will the Jewish world turn to Christ? Yes, eventually. We'll find that out in the future of Israel, which is next week. But in the interim, this age that we're in needs to be fulfilled. It has to find its completeness. Its work needs to be finished. And we're part of that, that immediate work of God. So look at 19.4. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Have you had enough? I've had enough. I'm tired out. I'm worn out. I need a break. I quit. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He doesn't turn out to be that solid rock. He knows that God is a solid rock, but right now he just wants to quit. Somebody once asked a pastor, Pastor, how did you stay in the church so long? One of my favorite, and this is good. I hope all pastors should have this in their head. Well, I stayed when I wanted to leave. I stayed when the church wanted me to leave. I stayed until God told me to leave. It's a great way to put it, isn't it? Elijah wanted to leave. And God said, no, we're not done yet. And I think what a great message for all of us. You know, parenting... That's a ministry. How many of us have ever wanted to fold that one up and say, I think I'd like to skip the teenage years, you know? Anybody want them for a little while? Maybe even a day or two? I mean, you know, that happens. We all get tired and it's hard. But you know what? It's so worth it. God's at work. 1 Kings 19.18, Yet I reserved 7,000 in Israel. Who reserved them? Who kept them? who made sure that they existed. God did. I reserved. 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. All those pagan rituals, these people are sticking with God. Is it a dangerous time to be a believer in Almighty God? Yes, because their lives are at stake. That God says, despite the odds, despite the circumstances, despite how threatening life was, they still are true believers and they will not bow their knee and kiss Baal. Not having it. God knows this. So Elijah reminds me that ministry is not a sporting event. Although, aren't you glad the Ducks beat Colorado, maybe? I don't know. I'm not really into sports very much, but I had to say that one kind of was like a, yes. Um, yeah, enough of that. It's not the church, though. It's not a sporting event. But we're so sports-oriented, we think in terms of score and pageantry and prestige and anything else that goes with the sporting world. Remember that? Charles Coulson book that he wrote some time ago, I read it years back, and Charles Coulson was noticing that one church, a particular church, uh, he had a bumper sticker. They gave their congregation bumper stickers, and everybody put the bumper sticker on their car. You know what it said? We worship better at. Now, is that like sports? That's like a game. Our, we got game over here. Our game's a better game. We got a better team. We got a better deal. We score big here. And really, it's not about us. It's not about Elijah. It's not about the remnant. It's about God who reserved the 7,000. Do they take credit? 
God gets the credit. Who preserves the Christian community worldwide? God does. Where are the fastest growing Christian communities in the world today? Ironically, Iran. Despite the persecution, the Christian community in Iran is blossoming. Why? Because the people there who have relied on Baal, so to speak, have come to recognize that that has taken them nowhere. And they're looking for an alternate. And the alternative with meaning and purpose and hope is Jesus Christ. And frankly, if you know much about Islam and the Quran, the Quran says if you want to know more about Jesus, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's God's little for those that want more. God's at work. How are we going to go forward? Our country's changing, right? Values are changing. Ethics are you know, being diminished. New morals swim here and there and everywhere. We're seeing things go on, and maybe it's unsettling. Maybe it's unhappy. Maybe you feel like, oh, my goodness, the people that are attending church are down. The number of Christians aren't as common. But what does God tell Elijah? Quit wringing your hands. You've got work to do. You're not alone. Get on with it. I know what I'm doing. God knows the time we're in. God knows the circumstances we, f- we hear about and experience. We don't have to fret and wring our hands. We don't have to crawl under a broom tree and wish it would all go away. We don't have to go off grid in the woods somewhere. We've got the Lord who knows what he's doing. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Elijah's message is all about. So we're going to keep the faith. We're not going to keep the score. We're going to keep our eyes on Jesus, not the odds. We're going to keep sharing the gospel and trusting in the Holy Spirit to call others to believe in Jesus Christ. After all, if you're a believer in Jesus, how did that happen? If you can believe in Jesus, then somebody else can too. We keep hope alive because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is alive. We keep reading and studying and applying God's word because it's true. We keep loving God and neighbor because God's love has already won. Good news. Then thirdly, remnant believers exist by God's grace. No church program can produce a remnant. No class. No confirmation. No activity of the church can save anybody. But what we can do is shine the light on Christ. How do we lead a horse to water? We salt their food, make them thirsty. How can we get somebody to drink of the waters, the living waters of Christ, and to find salvation and the forgiveness of sins? I can't drag them by the nose and stick their head in it. What can I do? I salt their food with goodness in my life, humility, honesty, integrity, and the truth of his word, love in action. And people see that. That's why Peter would say, be ready to explain to others the hope that you have, the reason that you have that hope. Because sooner or later, somebody's going to ask, you're kind of weirdly different. Or maybe they'll say it more positively. I kind of like how you navigate your life. I mean, you seem like you've got a piece that I wished I had. 
And I've literally been told that by a friend of mine. So when those opportunities arise, there's that salt that's been applied now, give them the water. Give them the water of life. Share something about Jesus that you think would make an impact on their life for the gospel, the good news. Remnant believers exist by God's grace, and that's what we're going to count on here and everywhere. Verse 6, and this is one of my all-time go-to... This is huge, okay? I can't say it better than that. Great Scott, yes. Maybe that's the way I should say it. And if by grace, then it is no longer works. We shouldn't get those mixed up. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. The minute we start to teach or think that we are saved somehow by something we can do, then grace is no longer grace, and we've ruined our message. Grace is an absolute independent category that says this is God's free gift of God's sovereign choosing to give somebody the gift of life in Jesus Christ, the ability to believe, to take the blinders off that Satan says has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. God alone can take that blinder away and they can see the truth and receive it and believe it. And that, God gets all the credit for. Grace, if we add any human requirement, then is lost. Because now we've got works mixed up with grace for salvation. Now, we do talk about works because we're saved to do good works. The good works don't save us. Let's make sure that's totally clear. We do it out of love, not out of duty, and not because we're worried about our salvation or we think now we're on the outs with God and he's unchosen us. Can you think of any scripture anywhere where God says, I have unchosen you? I can't think of a single one because God reserves this is so cool. Grace. You want to put something on your mirror, that's a really good one. The entire Bible, not just Paul, says salvation is by God's grace through faith. Look at how Paul started off with the big highlights of the entire book. There are two verses there, one of which is verse 17. It really set the stage for the entire book of Romans. For in the gospel, which means good news, a righteousness from God not from ourselves, but a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. No works. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Where does that quote come from? From the Bible. What Bible did they have? The Old Testament. Where in the Old Testament? A book most of us may not have read. Habakkuk. It's just plain fun to say. I've read Habakkuk today, and it's from my Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. We're saved by faith. That's God's grace and not by works. A remnant people of Israel does exist today. I found out statistically what that's like. There are 400 around the world, 400 Messianic Jewish synagogues worshiping the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on Saturdays around the world, 400. Not a lot. But is there a remnant? 
Yes. The number of Messianic Jews living in Israel number between 10 and 20,000. Between 10 and 20,000. 200,000 live in our country. So there's a tremendous Messianic Jewish community here in our country compared to the nation state of Israel itself. Now that's a difficult place to live, by the way, because, and I think I mention it next Sunday, the Jewish Supreme Court some years ago said if you're a Messianic Jew, then you're no longer a Jew. You cannot be a citizen of Israel. I'll, I'll touch base with that just a smidge more next Sunday, but there's a real big deal going on here, and for that community to accept Christ, there's a price to pay in real terms. It's a difficult place. Now, if God relied on us somehow, that I had to do something to make God happy with me, or I had to keep doing things to keep God happy with me, then where did God's sovereignty go? Who's reserving me? Am I reserving myself and keeping myself reserved, or is God keeping me? That's a great basic question. If it's on me, grace is no longer grace. I go back to that all the time for myself and for all of you too. In pastoral counseling, I think that's one of the key pieces in finding peace with God, obviously. So what do we, what do we learn from this? Well, first of all, I am humbled by this, aren't you? I am humbled by God's grace. I was uh, never a big wheel in school. I was Air Force Cadet of the Year and Air Force ROTC in my college sophomore year. I even got a little, little medal. But I count that all as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Is that a little bit like Paul wrote? There's nothing more important in my life than to know that God has called me to faith. And I don't take credit for that. It wasn't that I marched properly and studied B. 17s and all that kind of stuff back when that I got a medal. That's the achievement kind of thing we're aware of. We're used to that kind of stuff. But ultimately, when it comes to our faith, oh man, humble gratitude is what I see in my own life. How about you? The sovereignty of God has called you, reserved you, keeps you. None of us are alone. If you believe in Jesus, then God has chosen you by his grace. A humble church will be a loving church, grateful to God, through thick and thin. God's got this. And if we're going to boast, do you know that it's okay to boast? But not like sports. If we're going to boast, the Bible says, boast in the Lord. I still think one of the best ways to talk to our brothers and sisters in other churches isn't to ask them how big their church is, isn't to ask them how many programs they have, isn't to ask them anything about the church itself exactly. I think the best question and the one that I would always like to be asked is, what is God doing in your church? That's really what the book of Romans is all about and what we're all about. We give all credit to God. We're workers but we can't bring it home without God. Thank you, God. We also want to pray the unsaved will receive and believe the gospel. If God chose us, and he did, all who believe, then we know that God can choose others. And it's kind of difficult to let that sink in because there are some people we can't imagine would become believers, but they do. I've seen that in my family. 
I know that that can happen amongst my friends. I've heard stories. I remember some odd stories about a Christian professional boxer who tried to convert a fellow boxer. They had it out in fisticuffs. They beat each other black and blue, and weirdly enough, the non-believer became a believer in Jesus because they were fighting over the whole concept of the gospel. And it got hot, and away they went. And I don't recommend it. This is not my style. I don't think it should be our style. But the Holy Spirit took a very weird moment and turned it into something that only God could do. You just don't know. That's the kind of faith we have. So we're going to be praying. We can be praying for the lost. We know what God can do. We don't know where or when or who, but we know what God can do. No sinner is too hard. No sinner can be too tough. And if you're worried that God hasn't chosen you this morning and it's kind of getting under your skin and you're kind of sitting there thinking, wow, you know, if, if God chooses and calls and elects those key words in the New Testament, and, and I don't know if I'm a believer or not, I wonder if God doesn't want to call me or choose me or elect me. Well, let me tell you something. If that bothers you, then I believe you're being chosen right now. Because if you're not chosen, you don't care. Nobody seeks God. God seeks them. And if there's something going on in your heart today, then that is God seeking you. What is the only right response to say, yes, thank you for bothering me. <laughs> and thank you that there's an answer to this, that I could have peace with you. And thank you that it's not something I have to do right now. You don't have to come down the aisle to be saved. You don't have to throw your hand in the air to be saved because it's God that does the saving. And all you have to do is say, yes, I, I believe. That's your response to God's call. Let the Holy Spirit turn that to joy. That's so cool. And then there's just a summary statement. This will go real quick. The summary statement that Paul gives at the close is this, 7 to 10. What then? He says, so given all this, what? So what? What Israel sought so earnestly to be right with God, that's what Israel sought with integrity. They wanted to be right with God. It did not obtain it, but the elect did. Israel sought to do it based on works. But throughout the Bible, we know we're saved by the grace of God through faith, not works. They got the story wrong. The others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, and ears so they couldn't hear to this very day. In other words, we trust God to save people, even these hard ones, but we know until this moment they remain hard. They are resistant to the gospel. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. He's saying if they keep resisting the news of Jesus Christ, then that is the sin against the Holy Spirit. You, you, until your last breath, you have that opportunity. But if to the day you die and you still refuse to believe in Jesus, that's your call, but that's the end, and you have to face God with that. The Old Testament has three sections, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And Paul quotes from each 
part. You know what he's saying in doing that? He's saying the entire Old Testament agrees with me and I agree with it. This isn't something new. We're saved by God's grace. And though Paul wrote to Israel, I think there are principles that I find here. Just briefly this. God's election and the way we understand it informs us, right? Our calling. God chooses sinners before they believe in Christ, not after. God doesn't wait around for us to make up our minds. God does the reserving. They didn't ask for it. He gave it. That's grace, a free gift. God's choice isn't based on what we've done or will do. God's choice isn't based on our ethnicity, our location, or our church. God's choice isn't based on whether we come forward or raise our hands. Be grateful God chooses because no sinner willingly chooses God. Anybody who believes in Jesus Christ has been touched by the call of God and his grace. Otherwise, we wouldn't have bothered to have received it and believed it. Thank God that God is God. God's choice isn't based on anything but his own sovereign choosing. And then we have a responsibility to act upon it. We know God chose Israel for privilege and service. They're all supposed to be holy priests set apart by God to be a testimony to the world. That's in Exodus 19. But when they don't follow God's law of grace and faith and ethics, then where's the testimony? That's food for thought. We know God chose some to believe within the nation of Israel and outside the nation of Israel. So everybody whose faith is in Jesus Christ is a child of Abraham. Paul already said that. We are Israel collectively, not the nation state, but in Paul's book, we are the living people, the remnant of Israel included, grafted in, as we'll see next week. But the root is all there in the patriarchs. We don't need to imagine that we can limit God's sovereign freedom by just electing someone. God's cho choosing is his timing and his ability. I still remember my dad coming late. I wished it would have been sooner. I still remember some friends of mine who came late. I wished it would have come sooner. I still have friends who don't believe. I still have family members that don't believe. I've had some family members that were so antagonistic and so anti-Christ and belittled and made fun and joked about it, and I was a pastor in their midst, and they just loved to kind of dig. They are all believers in Jesus today. <laughs> God is at work, and I could not see it coming. Isn't that so cool? Who knew? Who knew? God knew. You just don't know. And that's, that's really the fun nature of it, isn't it? Isn't it like an adventure? What's around the corner? Don't know. God does know. Okay, then let's go. It's, it's exciting. And those whom God chooses to save, he'll never lose them. You can't be saved and lost and saved and lost and saved and lost because if you're saved and lost and saved and lost, then what is the key ingredient in that formula? works what happened to grace that's the message so I want to celebrate God's grace with you this morning I want to just pause and just I'm not going to say anything this is just your personal time with God whatever's on your heart whatever God is doing however you want to respond maybe it's just thank you maybe it's Lord I've been just wrestling with this business and I, I now realize 
You're, you're bugging me. You're calling. I'm going to respond. I don't know. But here's the adventure. God does. So let's go around the corner. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, maybe we've just started a conversation with you, but I know that you speak to us at all hours of the day. In fact, the word, your word says pray constantly, which means we should be good listeners. I pray, God, that now that we've had your blessing this morning in your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit continue to encourage us in your grace to look in the mirror and see not the sinner and the person who displeases even themselves at times, but Lord God, we're your children, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, co-heirs with Jesus. Holy, you've declared us righteous. All our sins are forgiven. You love us. You do discipline us sometimes. But God, you do it because you love us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that seals and secures our salvation that lives within, you live within us. Thank you, Father, for eternal life. Thank you, God, that there is hope and meaning and purpose in what you've shown us. And Lord, may the world see your community filled with love and confidence and peace and the joy that you bring us in Jesus' name. For your glory, Lord, for your name's sake. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ready? Let's all stand up. Uh, we're going to sing Blessed Be the Name.
God is good. All the time. Amen. Would you join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may the love of the Father and the sacrificial grace of Jesus Christ our Lord and the wonderful living presence of the Holy Spirit unite us all now and forevermore and all of God's wonderful people could say amen. God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful week. And again, if you have any questions or you want to visit with me at all this week, let me know. I'm here for all of you. God bless you.